Well, this morning we continue our path through the lectionary as we look at 1 Samuel. I realized as I was looking at the scripture reading this morning, the text that I picked out to preach on is actually one of the ones that gets skipped over. <laughs> but I think it's uh, still, it's a great line, so I couldn't resist preaching on it. So I'm taking from my text this morning the 26th verse of the 17th chapter of 1 Samuel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Please pray with me. O God, who strengthens the hearts of the lowly, open us up to your word today that we can become better servants of you. Amen. Today is a special day, a great and glorious and extremely humid day. Yes, because today we get to proudly celebrate and embrace LGBT people, those of us in this congregation and in our families and in our workplaces. We, get to, we all get to stand up and be proud of ourselves and who we are in our deepest being. Today, you can be as fabulous as you want to be. And I wish I had a little more rainbow swag for my robe. I was looking for some and I couldn't find it. Target is all out of this stuff. And today I also get to preach on a passage of the Bible that I've never preached on before. One of the most famous passages in the whole Bible. The story of David and Goliath. Trust me, it is fun to preach on famous passages like this. And this story is one of the best composed stories in the whole Bible. There's a reason why it has inspired people for over 2,500 years. This story is good. Listen to it. The Philistines were a sea people from the eastern Mediterranean. Warlike and eager for conquest, they landed on the Palestinian shore near present-day Gaza and began their march inland. Rumors of their prowess in battle reached the ears of Saul and his court. Gathering his army together, Saul marched towards the sea, and met the approaching Philistine army where the highlands transitioned to the low country in the valley of Elah. Both armies staked out the high ground on either side of the valley. Neither dared to risk a frontal assault on the other. To resolve the standoff, the Philistines sent their great champion, Goliath, to challenge any warrior the Israelites might send forth. Standing at least six foot nine inches tall, some accounts say much taller, Goliath was armed with the latest and best armor and the deadly weaponry of an elite soldier of the late Bronze Age. It was a terrifying sight to the Israelites. No warrior could take on someone like that and expect to win. Day after day, Goliath would stride to the center of the valley and call out to the Israelites. He would mock them and their God, goading them to try and challenge him. This type of warfare was not uncommon in ancient times. The conflict would be settled or at least initiated with the champion of each side facing off. Even if the battle ensued afterwards, the losing side would have had their morale crushed. If their champion can do that to our best soldier, what would happen to me? David was working as a shepherd at this time and was told to bring provisions to, this, to his older brothers in the Israelite army. Just as he arrived in camp, the army was drawing up into its battle line opposite the Philistines to conduct their daily standoff. The young David squeezed his way through the ranks so he could see what unfolded. And as happened, day after day, the Philistine champion Goliath came forth and challenged the Israelites, mocking them and their God. 
Full of anticipation for what would happen, the teenage David began asking questions of the frightened soldiers around him. The soldiers said that the king would greatly enrich anyone who could defeat Goliath, but none of them stepped forward out of fear of what they knew would inevitably happen. David had a different reaction. He saw this affront to God and delivered one of the best lines in the Bible, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? His brother, as most older brothers do, told David to be quiet. David, as most younger brothers do, ignored him and kept asking the question, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Word spread to King Saul, who who called the teenager before him. Confronted with the challenge from the king, David accepted and volunteered to face the Philistine champion. Saul gave David his armor, anything to give him a slight chance of winning. But David could barely move, so unaccustomed as he was to armor. Sloughing off the trappings of a warrior, David decided to face the champion, armed as a shepherd. When David walked down the slope toward Goliath, the Philistine laughed and mocked him. Am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? But David threw the insult back in his face and boldly declared that God would deliver Goliath into his hands. As Goliath approached, David moved quickly and took one of the stones out of his bag. Deftly swinging his, his sling in accelerating circles, David loosed the stone and struck Goliath in the forehead, cracking his skull. Goliath's massive body collapsed, his heavy armor making a great noise as it hit the ground. David surveyed the corpse before him and, taking Goliath's own sword, chopped the Philistine's head off. The Israelites had won. David's legendary career had been launched. What a story. And honestly, it's even better in the original Hebrew. But it's not just the narrative of this story that excites us. This is the quintessential story of the underdog facing impossible odds. And instinctually, we love that plot, that drama. It's what makes the movie Hoosiers with Gene Hackman such a classic. It's why all of Boston and much of the country cheered when the Red Sox felled the mighty Yankees in 2004. (laughs) I was reading this past week that when Mexico beat Germany in the World Cup, the commotion was so great in Mexico City that it could be picked up on seismic sensors. Go Mexico. When you go home and turn on Netflix, count how many shows have an underdog story as their plot. We love these stories because we can identify with them. We have had times in our lives when we have faced great odds or supported causes that had little chance of success, but something, something that transcended realism led us onward. We have been there, and we know we will be there again. So whenever we get the chance, we cheer on the little guy. Let's take a poll. Who here is for Goliath? And now who here is for David? Exactly, very scientific. It's almost seismic. When I was reading through this passage this week and meditating on it, it wasn't the underdog part of the story that kept coming back to me. I love that part of the story, but there was something else that I couldn't get out of my head. I'm not sure if you noticed it when Guillermo was reading the passage just now. The theme I kept hearing was David's overwhelming confidence. It's encapsulated in that line I love, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David is an unarmed teenager walking amidst a great army. He is staring down at one of the greatest warriors of his day. Is he afraid? Maybe. But he sure doesn't show it. 
David is just as confident when he stands before King Saul. Now, I may not be the biggest fan of the President of the United States, but I would bet you that if I were standing before him in the Oval Office, I would be pretty intimidated. Not David. He's all good before Saul, cool cool as a cucumber. I mean, he's a shepherd after all, the ancient equivalent of a fast food worker. Why should he be intimidated by the ruler of his nation? This confidence carries on through the encounter with Goliath. I used to wrestle. I wrestled for six years and was the captain of my high school team. If there's one thing I can tell you about wrestling, it's that walking onto a mat with your opponent a few feet away is a nerve-wracking experience, particularly that time when I was squaring off against the New England Prep School champion. And for the record, I lost that match. (laughs) But here I am, reading about David, walking out to face Goliath, and I'm like, I don't know what kind of Wheaties he had that morning. But, to quote a line from When Harry Met Sally, I will have what he's having. (laughs) It's a little bit bit less expressive in this account than it is in the movie. Uh, Then a few minutes later, it's all over. And and David has won the big contest, and he has the gumption to take Goliath's own sword and to chop his head off as a trophy. Okay, I agree, it's gruesome. But a mousy retiring shepherd generally wouldn't do that. This guy has an air of confidence. We read again and again how important confidence is. Confidence is key in convincing others that you're right. Confidence matters for job interviews and romantic dates. Few things are as sexually attractive as confidence. Not arrogance, mind you, confidence. Confidence allows you to take risks, which are crucial for success in any line of work or career. Am I surprised that David became a legendary king of Israel? Not one bit. Do you see the confidence this guy has? I'd follow him in a second. So how do I get some of it? I have to admit, part of the allure of this confident David is that I wish I had more confidence myself. Now, I know it may not seem that way, but I can be as neurotic as a Woody Allen character. Just ask MJ how I talk about my sermons. <laughs> Each week, I am convinced that this sermon is going to be horrible. This one's awful. This one's awful. No one will like it. It won't speak to anyone. <clears throat> if only I could do a decent Woody Allen impression. Now, I'm sure none of you out there suffer from a lack of self-confidence. I mean, look out at this congregation, and I see a bunch of confident Davids arrayed before me. No self-doubt in you, right? No questioning of yourself. Today is Pride Sunday. And, as I thought about things this past week, I realized at least part of my lingering self-doubts comes from being gay. Growing up gay was always a problem. It was never a good thing, even if it was tolerated in certain circles. When I first came out, I was convinced that everyone was judging me. I felt intense shame over my feelings and desires. I felt intense shame whenever I had an intimate experience with another guy, as though I was doing something wrong, something that society, my family, my friends, my church rejected. Even though I've come a long, long way from those days, some part of that self-doubt still sticks with me. Perhaps you felt a similar way. Now, maybe it's not over being gay, but perhaps that self-doubt creeps in for other reasons. Maybe it's because you felt at some point that you weren't attractive enough, and that stuck with you. Maybe you felt you weren't a good enough student, or perhaps that you're not a good enough success in work or in other areas of life. Our social media saturated world only makes this worse. You see all your friends having so much fun on trips or in such apparently glowing relationships. And you can't help but ask yourself, what's wrong with me? Why is, my, why is that not me or my life? 
Where did I fall short? I look at David and I ask myself, how can I be as confident as David was? Where does his confidence to face Goliath come from? Turns out this passage contains at least some of the secrets of David's confidence. In our close reading, we can tease them out. Let's look closely at what lies behind his air of command. When David is having an audience with King Saul, Saul looks at him in disbelief. You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. David responds by citing his experience as a shepherd. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. In the face of impossible odds, in the face of a new challenge, what gives, what gives David his confidence is his past experience. Yes, he might not have faced Goliath before, but he's wrestled with other strong animals, and he can do it again. It's remarkable how often we can discount our experiences when faced with new challenges. Oh, I haven't done that before. There's no way I could do that. We see something new, a new challenge, and our confidence goes right out the window. Oh, this, this is different, you see. It freezes us. What if we're able to be more like David? Sure, I might not have experience doing that thing, but you know what? I've, I've experienced doing new things before, and I've succeeded in those endeavors, and I could do this. I'm reminded of the story of William Sloan Coffin during World War II. Coffin became famous as a chaplain at Yale in the 1960s, where he led the Freedom Rides and the peace movement against the Vietnam War. Afterwards, Coffin became the senior minister of Riverside Church in New York City. Later in his life, he wrote his memoirs and talked, among other things, about his service during World War II. Coffin was a gifted and charismatic teacher and spent most of the war training soldiers for fighting. At the end of the war, and at this point Coffin was 22 years old, he heard that the army needed Russian translators to work in the Nuremberg trials. The work sounded fascinating to him. There was only one problem. He didn't speak any Russian. It's a minor issue for an, for an aspiring translator. Anyways, he applied for the job nonetheless. He was a skilled linguist, he spoke French fluently, and had a passing familiarity with several other languages. He had he'd also trained to be a concert pianist, and knew several piano songs that had Russian words. And when it came time to interview for the position, he asked for a piano and then played these Russian songs to show off his linguistic skill. Now the interviewers were so desperate for anyone who knew any Russian that they immediately hired him. Coffin then used his language proficiency and the resources available to him to learn the language. His job was to interview Russian soldiers who had defected and to learn as much as he could from them before handing them back to the Soviets. Sort of an unsavory task. But like David, when starting off on this, Coffin did not have the necessary skills. But like David, he did have relevant experience and he had the confidence that he could do it again. That thing that he had done in the past. Another thing we find in this passage that helps us discover the confidence of David is the psychological value of being an underdog. When someone is top dog, so to speak, when someone is the person in power, it's relatively easy to be complacent. One of Goliath's faults was his arrogance. He didn't take the threat of David seriously. If he had, he might have been prepared to use his shield to block any incoming projectiles. Why should he, though? 
Here was a teenager with no relevant experience. How could this kid possibly hurt him? Goliath became complacent and, as a result, opened himself up to defeat. As, as, much as, his, as much as his heavily favored status hurt Goliath, David benefited by being the underdog. All the decks were stacked against him. The stakes could not have been higher. For David, every sense was amplified. His adrenaline fueled his actions. He was quick and, when he needed it most, deadly accurate with his sling. The value of this underdog mentality is well known. One of the keys to success of the New England Patriot football team has been their capacity to always see themselves as the underdogs. Bill Belichick would constantly remind his team that the other teams were gunning for them. The whole NFL was gunning for them. The whole of football nation, except a very small, isolated corner in New England, wanted them to lose. And the Patriots have demonstrated a, a remarkable capacity to be up for games. And this has allowed them to keep winning, even though some of the Patriot teams are not nearly as talented as their record would indicate. Being outnumbered, being outgunned, can often be an advantage if it forces you to be more creative, more agile, more aware than your opponents. Being an underdog is something to embrace when the situation arises, not to fear. The third crucial element of David's confidence was his unshakable belief in God. Throughout his life, even when he did wrong, David was connected to his faith with God. When he showed up in camp, he was offended in his deepest being that Goliath would defy the living God, the God of Israel and his ancestors. More so than any other soldiers there, that motivated David. When he strode out on the battlefield with his sling and incredible gumption, he believed in his heart of hearts that he was doing so on behalf of God. There was a greater purpose to his actions, and that drove him and gave him the confidence to do the impossible. Being connected to a higher purpose has a remarkable ability to motivate. Americans, as a people, probably know this better than anyone else. Americans have always believed that our country stood for something. America is not simply about patriotic loyalty to a homeland. It's about loyalty to the concepts of freedom, democracy, equality before the law. America has certainly not always lived up to its high ideals, but Americans still believe in those ideals. They're motivating for us. This was one of the greatest flaws of the Vietnam War. It became obvious by the late 1960s that we were not fighting for freedom. We were supporting a corrupt government. It was the Viet Cong and the North Vietnamese who could motivate their soldiers by saying they were fighting for freedom against the colonizing Americans. The realities of the conflict in Vietnam destroyed American morale just at the time when we, as Goliath in the conflict, needed it most. We see this phenomenon time and again. A higher, a higher cause, a higher purpose can lead people to dare great things, to have the confidence in what they're doing. The brave fighters in the civil rights movement and the gay rights movement were fighting for something. They were fighting for equality. They may not see that equality in their lifetime, but it was a struggle worth fighting for. That gave them a certain confidence in the face of unbearable racism and homophobia to do great things. Drawing on and believing our experiences. Having an underdog mentality. Being connected to something greater. These things can give us the confidence of David. We here at First Congregational Church have a tremendous richness of experiences on which to draw. You all have done some amazing things. We have experienced fundraisers here and experienced gardeners, experienced worship leaders and teachers, experienced musicians and people deft in those mystical ways of technology. We have people who have served others in a variety of capacities, who have listened and connected with friends and family, who have fought for social justice for decades in big and small ways. We have talents 
here to change so much for the good, to build up our congregation, to achieve our lofty goals that we have set for ourselves. If only we have the confidence to realize that we already have the experience here to make it happen. We also have a lot stacked against us. We are the underdogs. We are not some you know, super huge mega church with endless resources. We have to be more agile and creative in how we do things. Conservative Christians in this town have far more resources. Plus, our culture is increasingly secular, even though it desperately needs liberal Christian voices. We are the little band of 300 facing the Goliath of societal injustice. And we do have a larger cause to which we are committed. We are committed to being children of God, the living God. God is the God who is still speaking. God appears in all sorts of ways when we live out our mission. And our mission to love ourselves, to love one another, and to transform the, love, transform the world with God's love for all people. And this message is a message that's so needed today. Just the other day, I was chatting with someone who revealed that his parents were disowning him for being gay. Just this past week, today, here in 2018, this still goes on. His parents are conservative Christians, and they're kicking their son out of their family for that reason. This is Pride Weekend. We are here to stand with those who need us, who need our voice, who need God to speak a word of grace to them. It's a high calling indeed. The decks are stacked against us, but we don't need heavy armor. We've got, a, we've got our sling and five smooth stones. We've got the passion for the living God with all of those behind us. There's no telling what we'll be able to do.